okay, yeah, I got it. Um, I wonder how you're spending your time in COVID. What, how, how are you feeling in all these extra hours you've got to spend in your house or in your home? Um, I imagine that a lot of you are watching more movies than normal. And I, I sometimes wonder what sort of movies other people enjoy. I'm a big action movie fan. I like minimal story content, lots of action, and preferably no social commentary. Um, I'm not smart enough to understand social commentary. Um, not when things are blowing up and, and people are running around like crazy. But it's interesting the way Hollywood trains us over the years to identify with the central character in movies. Um, a lot of it doesn't make sense, but it's the way we've been trained. So one of, one of my movies that I like is, um, oh, no, it's gone. No, not now. <laughs> it's a zombie movie. Um, it's shut. I can't even remember the name of the star. Obviously, I like it a lot. <laughs> um, sorry about that. But the central character is the only person left alive. The rest of the world turns into zombies, and we, I identify with the central character. Statistically, it doesn't make sense. Only one person can be the one who survives. Would be most likely I'd end up, I would end up in that world as a zombie. But we still identify as the central character because that's what the Hollywood magic trains us to do. That's sometimes important to remember as we read the parables of Jesus. Occasionally, we identify with the central character, but who you identify with in the, par in the parables helps you understand the actual message that Jesus had. And if you identify incorrectly, you don't always get the full message of um, what the parable is trying to teach. So today we're going to uh, speak mainly from chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. But I want to start in, at the end, the tail end of the passage that Daryl did last week, which is at 1927 from there, um, because that sets the context for this parable. And this parable is actually part of um, the answer that Jesus is giving to the question raised in 1927. So I'll just start reading the, um, the parable from nine, Matthew 1927. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will be there, be there for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the, for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, and go to the first. 
The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when, when those came who had, were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you gave them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So the passage uh, that we're principally talking about is the, the, land, the parable of the landowner, Matthew 21 to 16. And I think it ha has two main points for us. Now the chapter division is really quite inconvenient there. It tends to split the, the parable from the context that it was asked in. Um, for a long time, I just read it as a standalone parable. It didn't occur to me that it was actually linked to the question the disciples asked in question 19. And as I've been trained by Hollywood, I identify with the main character who happens to be the landowner, which is pretty silly, really. It's not often that I identify with being God. Um, but Hollywood's trained me and I don't always think about what I'm identifying with. And so I, I often got a slightly different meaning for that parable and it didn't quite hit me what it was saying for me. So because I'm identifying with the, the landowner, um, of course it's my stuff. I can, I can be generous with the stuff I want. Um, that makes perfect sense. What's the lesson to my Christian life? In that context, doesn't seem to be a lot. But in the context of what's been asked, so Peter is saying, what will be the reward for the disciples who've born, who joined Jesus early? Um, they're going to work hard all their lives. Most of their lives are going to be pretty short. And Jesus is saying in 19 to 28 to 30, the first part, there will be a reward. But part B, the, the parable of the landowner, expands on that answer. So, in the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the, his vineyard. So the kingdom of heaven has work to do. Now the context of the passage suggests that its work is to follow Jesus. The disciples who are asking this question are saying, we've left everything to follow you and do your will. So this parable is answering that. So in the context of the question, the work of the kingdom of heaven is to follow Jesus. That may include evangelism. It may include working to become more like him. It may just include general good works to people around us, supporting each other, encouraging other, each other, uh, as Laura has suggested, uh, being generous. All the good works we associate with being a Christian are part of that work that is the kingdom of heaven. And the landowner has made an agreement with these guys, the first guys he hires, for a specific amount. And we'll go back, come back to this in a little while. What's the agreement we made with Jesus when we signed up to become his people? So the parable goes on. He goes out every couple of hours and he finds more, more workers um, hanging around the marketplace not doing anything. So he sends them into the vineyard as well, saying he'll pay them 
whatever is right. So the implication of this um, constantly going out was that it's actually at harvest time. And in an economy where you grow food, harvest time is very important. You don't get a lot of time. You have to get your harvest in on time or you miss out the fruit, the fruit spoils or the vegetables go off. So when harvest time hits, then you've usually got more work than hands, which is why the landowner's going out and hiring all these people. So any effort was appreciated, which is why the landowner's going out even as late as five in the afternoon um, to get more people. Now he doesn't make any agreement. He just says, I will do what's fair and the workers just have to trust him. And apparently they did. Oh, oh. Well, sorry, lost my place. At the end of the day, um, the workers are paid in reverse, reverse order. And here's where it's important who you identify with. So, and the lack of context can obscure the meaning. So, if we identify with the workers, maybe we can see that they have a point. I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, Jeff Noble's got this big local project on and he needs to finish it. He's only got a couple of days, he needs some help. So he rings up a couple of people. He usually probably starts off with the young guys and says, look, oh, I've got a, a big job. I want, want you to work from six to six. It's, it's this, pay this much and, you know, a little extra money is good. So a lot of the young guys sign on and they go through the day. But Jeff gets a bit worried during the day. So he rings up other people, nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, saying, look, I've got this big work on. Can you come and give us a hand? Because he's pretty serious. He needs to get this done. And at the end of the day, people are called into the opposite reverse order. The ones starting at the end of the day who only worked an hour from five to six, they get paid a full day's wage and they come out, they can't believe it. They've got all this for what they think, they know it's a little effort. So they're talking about it, saying, look what I got. This is amazing. So as you're standing in the um, waiting room for the office, you're thinking, well, if they got paid that, what am I gonna get? That would seem a reasonable thing to do especially if you've been working for 12 hours. But how do you feel when you go into the office and he just pays you what you agreed on? I think most of us would start to feel this is pretty unfair. Didn't I work through the hot sun? They got to sleep in. They got to have a leisurely breakfast and they still got the same money that I did. I think it's easier if we think about it to identify with how the workers are feeling. And so, yes, the landowner's reasoning is perfectly fine. He does have the right to do what he wants with his own money. Same as Jeff has the right to be generous if he wants to be or not. But in the context of the passage, the question that Peter asked, the lesson is applied to the reward Peter is asking about so it's saying i think that we we can't look at other christians and say how come they've got this how come some christians um and i, I know a christian like this he he, got, he became a christian and he gave up smoking and drinking basically overnight whereas other people come to christ and spend years overcoming those addictions. Why is he given the grace of a miracle and they aren't? I believe the passage is saying we cannot ask questions like that. 
we are denying God's generosity when we do that. Um, why do some people get ministries that have measurable results and others don't? And I put that question there because that's that's one of the things that that that, that keys me off. And I recognise that I don't have this passage down, Pat. I, I understand it intellectually, but I haven't I haven't worked it into my life such that I I don't get I I can't accept that some people have ministries that produce results, but that I've given been given ministries that, as far as I can see, have no real results that I can appreciate. I know other people look at my life and say they can see results, but unfortunately I can't agree with them and I can't see what they see. And I think there's a lot of Christians out there who, who struggle with other people having more success or seeming to have more success than they do. Um, other people who seem to have really clearly defined ministries and those of us who say, well, I sort of think, I should be doing this, I should be doing that, but we don't have a really clear call from God and we can get jealous about that. Why do they get a clear call and I don't? And I think today, the way, the way people are encouraged to do testimonies today encourages that um, discontent. They're encouraged to say how they've been successful in ministry rather than how they've been faithful in their life. They're encouraged to talk about results rather than their journey and their commitment. Um, and I know that those, those testimonies can disturb. They could, they're supposed to be encouraging and they can sometimes make interesting reading. I realise no one wants to read a testimony about someone who had no, no real results, but um, they can be discouraging as well. I, I made a mistake of reading one a couple of weeks ago. I don't usually read them. And it took me three days to get out of the funk that it put me in because this person... He'd had a good life, he had success, he had this ministry calling and his calling had been realised in a very measurable way. I sort of think I've had a calling, I was called to Mount Druid, I'm clear about that. There is no clear results for the work I've been for my life in Mount Druid. I have a mediocre house, I didn't have big success in youth ministry, I did it for a long time. I joined a church which was really good and then we had to close it down because it didn't go where I wanted it to go and or they wanted it to go. So interestingly enough, no one ever asked me for a testimony because I don't fit the mould that allows them to talk about success. And I'm pretty boring, so that's life. The second point I believe the passage brings out to us is that there's an unlimited amount of work in God's kingdom that we really need to roll up our sleeves and get involved there's there's work to do maybe it's not big work maybe it's just weeding around the bottom of the plants maybe it's just um supporting others as they freeing them up to do what they do well um but yeah there's lots of work in the kingdom and while we're doing that, we need to be not, not worrying too much about how other workers are being rewarded. We, have, we'll have, we will have our reward and we don't know necessarily how God's going to distribute those rewards. And it's probably a good thing we're not getting what we deserve. Because if we understand the Bible, what we deserve is hell. However good we are, 
we all fall short of God's standards. So the fact that we're getting a reward at all is much more than we deserve. The fact that some are seem to be seen to be rewarded more than we are shouldn't be into it. Shouldn't shouldn't come into it. I think we just need to say, is our forgiveness enough of a reward? Can we be content with the fact that God will let us into his kingdom? Or do we need or are we seeking more? If we're seeking more, we need to pray for God's forgiveness and a proper attitude. We need to encourage people to be faithful, um, not successful. Yes, we should work for success, but that isn't that shouldn't be our the main reason we do ministry. The main reason we do ministry is because we want to be faithful. We can be content with our faith that there will be a reward, even if we don't, if we find it difficult to appreciate now. And I don't think we ever have an excuse to say there's nothing to do in God's kingdom. There's a lot of work available in God's kingdom. We might not be lucky enough to receive a, a calling that makes it really clear what we have to do, but we've all been given eyes to see. And we can look around us and say, what is God bringing to our, my attention? Maybe that's the work I need to be doing. Um, and as Laura says, we need to be encouraging one another in that, even if, yeah. That's it from me. 